Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. So let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys here have kids? Anyone have kids? All right. Anyone have grandkids? Anyone have nieces or nephews or uh, know any kids or a teacher that works with kids or, or anything like that? So, so for me, uh, for Jody and myself, before we got married, we thought we knew everything about kids. We thought we knew everything. And we were that couple that would go to Chili's and see the families with all the kids come in, making trouble, misbehaving, throwing the baby back ribs everywhere and squeezing ketchup and doing all these things. And we would be that couple sitting in the booth looking at them be like, oh man, if they were our kids, I would say this to them. I would say that to them. How dare they do this? How dare my kids would never do that? So we would, be, we would totally be that, that uh, couple. And boy, were we completely and utterly wrong. So early in our marriage, we had a lot more free time to do these like more creative romantic dates. Like we would go to those like paint nights and like, you know, paint the pictures. And then we would go to the city and have like picnics in Central Park and and go to uh, Broadway shows. And uh, we did a ballroom dance class in Ramsey one time. So I thought, you know, early on, you know what, let me think of another creative fun date idea and what I thought we could do is we could watch my nephews and nieces for an entire weekend you know so I thought this would be great it'd be creative we can see what it could look like having kids and kind of test out the waters and and all that so um so we decided to do that and my brother and sister-in-law we knew they were going to a conference or a trip or, or some sort so we offered to watch their kids and they have five kids, all under 11 or 12 at the time. And they're great kids. We love them to death. So they gave us this great responsibility and this great task to watch their kids. And, and we took it. And we thought, okay, how hard could this be? So we get there on a Friday. And it's already Friday night. So all the kids, you know, they're in bed. They're about to go to sleep. So everything was smooth sailing. It was fine. No problems. But then, uh, having no kids, we were used to, you know, waking up on Saturday morning. We can sleep in. We, used, we were used to waking up whatever time we wanted. But at the crack of dawn, <laughs> half the kids wake up. They're already up. Apparently, kids don't sleep in on weekends. We didn't know about that. Like, no one, no one told us about that before. So our first task was to uh, feed them breakfast. And we started breakfast at like 7.30 a.m. in the morning. So we get the kids up, uh, and we, we you know, have to brush their teeth. But oops, one of the toothbrushes is missing. And then, we, then we're trying to brush their teeth, and oops, the toothpaste is missing. We don't know where everything is. And then we have to get them ready uh, and get them dressed and all that. And, and, and you know when you have kids' socks, you have to buy a new pair of socks every single time. Because you can never find the other socks, you know, the other pair of the sock. Uh, for us, uh, you know, I have a baby right now. This is, this is an aside. Her socks are like this small. When the two socks go into the washing machine, it's like going into the twilight zone. If two socks go in, only one comes out. The other one 
appears in some other dimension, you know, somewhere else. So we sit down to finally have breakfast and to get uh, the breakfast ready. And I thought, you know, I'll be cool. I'll be, you know, the cool uncle. Let's do breakfast restaurant style a la carte like IHOP. And I'll take orders and see what each kid wants. That was a bad idea. So one person said, I want to have pancakes. The other one said, I want to have eggs. I want to have cereal. So we're making all these breakfasts. And all of a sudden, all the problems and accidents start happening. Oh, no, the milk runs out. Oh, no, there's one kid that has a food sensitivity. We have to redo the whole breakfast. And we have to do all these other things. And then one kid spills their drink all over the floor. And then two kids start to, to fight because we didn't know that, that they weren't allowed to have their toys at the dining table. And then, we, then it was courtroom drama, and we had to play, we had to play the, the, the mediator between them. And the one that was getting potty trained, of course, had to go at the most convenient time. So this went on for hours and hours. We started 7.30. No joke, we ended at 11.30 a.m. 11.30 took that many hours. We loved playing with these kids, but we had no idea how to deal with them the other 90% of the time to do all the hard work. And at the end of the breakfast, we were so shocked. We couldn't believe it because now we had to get ready for lunch. You see, we could not wait for their parents to come home. We could not wait. We were praying that they would come home an hour, hours early. And we were praying that they would be here early to, to relieve us. And we were counting down the minutes because we knew that when their parents came, that they would be heroes. They would come in and, and put the whole situation fully under control. They would calm things down. They would bring justice. They would punish the kid that, that had done wrong, and they would bring justice to the kid that, that was innocent. And they would love each kid and, and call each kid by name and affirm them verbally and, and with physical affirmation, and they would fix everything that was broken, and they would take an upside-down situation and turn it right-side up, bringing wholeness again. You see, as believers and the adopted family of God, we have also been given a responsibility and a task by God for us to, to carry out when he had left. But we've also, from what we've discovered in just living life and what we've experienced, it, it, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. And in our lives and in the lives of those around us, we also face a gauntlet of chaos and frustration and dissension and all these things. And, and we also look forward to the day when Christ will return again and make things right and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But what are we to do in the waiting? What are we to do while, while we are waiting for his return? And that's a question that we're going to be looking at this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at the book of James that we've been looking at for a while, and we're specifically going to be looking at a passage that deals with developing patience in the midst of suffering to develop endurance, having endurance for the long game. So just to give you a little bit of background again, James is the, is the father figure of the early church of Jerusalem. 
And he's writing to the, the church that had been scattered all throughout the world at that time. And they were under pressure and hardship and opposition. And, and they were facing so much of what was going on around them. But as a church of Jesus, they were tasked to be in these foreign lands and have this important responsibility to represent Jesus, to, to show a new way of living life under the lordship of Christ. But they were going through hardships. They were discouraged. They were forgetting who they were as God's children. And as we've, we, we have been studying over the last many weeks, James had to remind them how to live, how to act, how to deal with conflict, how to control their tongues, and how to stay humble while not losing it under a situation of pressure. And this brings us to James's first point that we're going to be looking at. Keep your focus on the long game. Keep your focus on the long game. Let's look at James chapter 5, verses 7 onwards. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who wait patiently, who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. You see, what, what Jody and I could not believe is that we, we, we couldn't believe that our brother and sister-in-law, they didn't get a chance to escape. They had to deal with that every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How were we going to deal with this? How are we going to, to go through this without losing our minds? We did not have that kind of endurance. James reminds the early church that their hard work and everything that they were doing amidst the suffering that they were experiencing, that was not something that was going to last forever. But they had to remain patient and wait until the Lord's coming again, the coming of the Lord. In Greek, we call that the parousia, that's a, the, the coming of Christ. It was a hope of every believer at that time, and I hope that is, that is a hope for all of you here, you and me here, the hope that Jesus will come again. And then he gives a practical example of the farmer. Farmers are people that have the long view in mind. They have the long game in mind. You see, for you and I, we can go to the grocery store to shop right and buy any types of fruits and vegetables that we want at any time of the year. It doesn't matter. If you are on your Instagram or Facebook and, and you're scrolling and you see your, your favorite celebrity chef baker, they make this award-winning apple pie, you, of course, want to make that this weekend too, right? Don't let anyone stop you from doing that. What right does anyone have to stop you? If Martha Stewart can do it in the middle of the winter when apples are off-season, so can you. Even if apples aren't growing in the, in the orchard here in, in Warwick, New York, in the middle of February... It, you don't have to worry because your apples are already coming, flying first class to you on United Airlines from an orchard in Brazil in the southern hemisphere where it is summer right now and it comes right to your shop right. Apples, vegetables, fruits on demand. 
But in reality, that's not what happens. No crop just appears over and overnight. What can we learn from the farmers? How many of you here have farming in your background or like gardening or you, you understand, understand some of that? So uh, farmers, there are a couple things that we can learn from them. First, farmers have patience and they have humility. They have patience and, and they have humility. You see, every action that they take is not based on the short term, but their actions are based on the long game. They can't force things to happen. They can't force the, 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 for, the fruits to be ripened. And they have to have patience to follow the seasons of the rain, of the rains in the fall and in the spring. In the Mediterranean at, at that time, there were two periods of rain. There was a rain that came in the fall. It was a rain that, that would soften the soil so that you can kind of plow it and get it ready. And then there was a, the latter rain, the second rain in the spring that would... It would be the one that would help germinate the, the, the seeds and bring the fruit and, and the harvest and all of that. So they had to wait for that. Farmers also have to overcome the hard times. They have to weather the storms. They have to weather the floods. They have to, to fight against all the thieves that are trying to steal their produce. They have to, 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 to catch all the rodents and the, and the pestilence, and they have to live through the famine. They have to overcome the external circumstances and situations that are outside of their control. Not only that, farmers don't just get to, to sit around, but they are willing to put the work in. Farming is not something where you can just, it's not the, not the instapot where you can just kind of set it and forget it. But they have to keep working. They have to keep plowing. They have to keep weeding. They have to keep fertilizing and nurturing their crop. Why does a farmer go through all this effort? Are they putting all their effort in vain? No. They are investing now in a large, ripe harvest that will come in the future. The ripening of that harvest can't be accelerated, but when the moment that harvest comes, it is a time of celebration. It's a harvest of great value, and it can, and it can be sold for great value so that it could travel first class to your shop right. But what James is saying is this. We too, as believers, we too must be patient amidst all the hardship, amidst all the chaos. Why? Because the Lord is coming soon. And because he is coming soon, we can be expectant of his return. He will finally come and he will relieve us and restore all the brokenness, all the dysfunction, and make all things right and put all things under control because they will be under his control. Amen? And then we can celebrate. But until then, we are called to be patient. We are called to be humble. We are called to be obedient. And we are called to press on and work hard in doing what he's asked us to do while keeping our eyes fixed on his return. Now, there may be some of you here 
that say, what good? What good are all the things that I'm doing for Christ? I'm doing so many things for him. What good are all these short-term things that I'm doing? You might say, you know what? I've been sharing about his love. I've been talking to others about him. I've been doing good deeds. I've not been judging others. I have been resisting temptation. I've been forgiving those who offended me. I've been loving my enemy. I've been controlling my tongue. I've been helping my neighbor. But, but all these things are in the short term. They're not even a, a drop in the ocean. These things that I'm doing right now that, that seem insignificant to me, they're not making any dent in the long run. But no. Whatever you have started no matter how insignificant thing you think it is, no matter what you have started for Christ now, will be completed in fullness when he returns. When my brother and sister-in-law came back, we were genuinely relieved because they were going to finish the work that we had started. Christ has called you and me to continue the work that he has called us to do no matter what it is. And we don't have to lose hope because no matter what we start, no matter how insignificant we think it is, he is going to come and finish when he returns in its fullness. <laughs> but what happens when we don't have this long game view in mind what happens when we're not thinking about the long term and we don't when we don't handle things well and we just look at our difficulties and circumstances just in just in the short term in, in the short run in the immediate things get worse and and everything blows up and that brings us to james's next point don't waste time complaining don't waste time complaining or grumbling. Verse 9. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So, for many of us people who live here in New York and New Jersey, we love to complain, right? Complaining is our language. We love to grumble. That's how we communicate with one another. We talk about things and we, we complain about things and and if there's nothing to complain about, I would be so bold to say that sometimes we go and make, start trouble so we can have something to complain about, right? If we need something to complain about, we'll complain about the traffic or our neighbors or politics or weather or something else. When Jody and myself, we did not know how to deal with that dilemma that we were facing, we started to turn on each other. We started to blame each other. We started to, to complain instead of focusing on the responsibility that we had been called to do in the first place. And we started to say, why didn't you clean up? Why didn't you listen to me? Why didn't you let the kids have whatever choice they wanted for, to eat for breakfast? Why did you believe the kids when they said that their parents let them have ice cream for breakfast? Why did you fill the orange juice cup all the way to the top? You know you're not supposed to, that's, that's parenting 101, you're not supposed to do that for kids. Why, 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 why? And we started complaining and, and grumbling. When we don't focus on the long game, what happens is we start to panic. And we get fixated on all the short-term problems that we have. We even start 
than, than panic and looking at the farms of our neighbors and friends and comparing ourselves to them and seeing how much fruit they have versus what we have. And we start judging others. And we, we know this because we've all experienced this and we do this ourselves. When we focus and, and focus inward, we start becoming suspicious and paranoid. And we're secretly hypercritical, judging all those around us, even our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe some of you here are saying, God, I'm doing everything that you have been asking me to do. I'm doing everything that you're asking me to do. I'm suffering so much for you. I'm loving the person that offended me. I'm putting myself dead last so others can be first. But yet my brother, my Christian brother or sister, they have more success in their life. My spouse isn't following you, but their spouse is. My ministry is struggling, but their ministry is fully funded and is going well. I serve you from behind the scenes when, when no one sees what I'm doing for you, but they get all the recognition. I go the extra mile at work caring for my coworkers and helping them do their job well, but they're the ones that get the promotion. Remember in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they would be grumbling a lot of the time. Their grumbling and complaining kept them from seeing God's promise in the promised land. What Jesus reminds us is this. Don't grumble or judge because we, in fact, are the ones that are being judged by Christ himself. So we have no right to judge others or to compare others. That's God's role. So stick with the task at hand and be focused. Be patient. Don't complain. So what does this patience and endurance look like? What is this supposed to look like? If we were to paint a picture of this, what does this actually look like and appear like? And what James says is that he gives us the example of the prophets in the Old Testament. And he wants to teach us this. Grow a lasting endurance. Grow a lasting endurance. Verse 10. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. We're going to stop there, verse 11. So, James points out the prophets in the Old Testament as examples of followers of God like you and me that developed endurance while having patience during an extended time of suffering. What is endurance? Let's define it. Endurance is simply the ability to press forward despite facing resistance. Endurance is the ability to face, to press forward despite 
facing resistance. And he gives us this example of Job as, as an example of endurance. So I'm going to just give you a paraphrase of this story. Who is Job? It was one of the earliest stories, narratives written in the Old Testament. In the story of Job, Job was a follower of God. He was a follower of God who was a very rich and successful man. He had so many resources. He had so many blessings from God. He was blameless and he was upright and he was doing good and he hated evil. But one day we see something that happens behind the scenes, behind the scenes of the spiritual curtain. And in that scene, Satan had met up with God. And he made the accusation to God that the only reason Job was following God is because God had blessed him greatly. So then God allowed for all his wealth to be removed, his children to be removed, and later his physical health. And he was afflicted by disease. Job was deeply grieved with everything that was going on. But yet, he did not blame God for his problems. And if things couldn't get any worse, Job's closest friends, his best friends, even attributed his suffering as a punishment from God for sin. But no, he was not in sin at all at that time. And they tried to convince him to get angry and to curse God. But despite losing everything, but despite being blamed for everything, and being encouraged to curse God, and by facing physical torment, while most people would have given up completely, Job did not lose his faith but had trusted God and had trusted in the faithfulness of God even though he did not, did not know where the long game would end. With Job's victory, sorry, I may have said James, with Job, Job proved Satan wrong. Job proved Satan wrong. He focused on, on the long game. And he didn't blame God. He didn't blame others. But he held on to being a faithful follower amidst opposition and hardship. He waited patiently during that time of suffering until the Lord restored him. And at the end of the story, we see that God had restored everything that he had lost. In fact, God had even given him more than he had lost. But what was even greater was, was a victory in the spiritual realm where the victory was that Job had defended the character of God against the accusation of the enemy, bringing a great victory and testimony for God's kingdom. Let me remind you of one of the, the anchor verses of this series, which is from James 1, verse 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. What I want to do this morning is I want to leave you with a couple questions, a couple reflection questions to be thinking about and to be meditating about. And the first is this. 
We all know that Christ has left us with instructions. He's left us with a task. He's left us with responsibilities and how to live. And as we strive to live for him, the first question that we need to ask ourselves is this. In what areas of my life do I need to build patience? In what areas of my life do I need to build patience? Do I need to build patience for certain people or individuals in in my life? What are their names? Who are those faces? Ask God to bring them up. Are there circumstances or, or issues that are going on in your life in which you have to build patience? Next, as you strive to live for Christ, do I find myself complaining about others often? Do I find myself having jealousy toward others, blaming my problems on on someone else or something else, and comparing myself to others instead of focusing on what God has called me to do in the here and now? Next, as I strive for Christ, how has my endurance grown over time? How has my endurance grown over time? As we have and as I have matured in my faith and in our sanctification process, am I able now to deal with people, circumstances, and issues better now, better than I have years before when I was less mature? Am I able now to weather the storms and have resilience in the things that are going on and have that that kind of endurance more now than I have back earlier on or has nothing changed in my faith and in my growth all this time that's a question we need to ask ourselves i want to invite the band to come up and prepare for our song and as we do i just want you to meditate on these three questions that we are asking ourselves in in building endurance And God's called us to to focus on the long game at hand in the tasks that he's called us to do. He's called us to not waste our time complaining. And he's called us to build and grow a lasting endurance that lasts. When the cards are stacked against you, when your friends have turned against you, when temptation is all around you and that you are bruised and exhausted and suffering, and when you're doing the work and living the life that he's called you to live, do you get focused on the short-term complaining, giving in, giving up, cursing God? Or as believers, are we allowing our hardships and sufferings to build in us an endurance that stands the test of time, that withstands the trials of the enemy, that weathers the storms, that is resilient under pressure, that drowns out the voices of the world and the voices of the the naysayers that are trying to convince you to give up, that withstands the hits and the bombardments of the enemy of the world. There might be some of you here this morning that, that you are tired, you are worn out, you are exhausted, but what I want to remind you is this, that Jesus hasn't left us alone. When Jesus gave his commission to his disciples and gave them, with, gave them an important task, 
He said to them at the end, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you feel worn out, just say, Jesus, I need you. If you are in Christ, just allow his Holy Spirit to fill you and refresh you and give you strength and confidence and assurance. And he will give you the strength and endurance that, 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 that you need to carry out what he's asked you to do. Maybe this is your moment to surrender control and allow his spirit to re refresh you and to revive you and to transform you. Maybe there's some of you here today that you don't know the Lord and this is all new to you and, and you are tired of trying to figure out your life and trying, tired of trying to figure out your purpose and your identity and your meaning and eternity and all that. I just want to let you know that there is a Savior that loves you. There's a Savior that forgives you. There's a Savior that adopts you and, and makes you his and makes you whole, not just in this life here, but in the life to come. I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me. I invite you into my heart. I am yours. The Bible says that, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you as the church to say standing under pressure. To say standing under pressure. I want to invite you to stand up. I want to invite you to say standing under pressure and keep fighting because we know that the Lord is near and the Spirit is now with us. Let's be a people that say, I want to stay living for you. I want to stay working for him. I want to stay making him known either until he first comes or he calls me home again. So let us be ready. Let us be vigilant. Let us keep our lamps burning. Let us keep our hands on the plow and don't lose hope because whatever he has called you to do, he's going to come back to finish in completion when he returns. Paul shares that I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I want to leave with you an image as we close. You know, rain is a symbol of new life. Rain is a symbol of physical life, of, of farming, of, of fertile ground, of fertile soil, of, of, of harvests and rain. And rain is also a spiritual symbol of revival that we see. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.